Hi, and welcome to Drinking with Creatives, because cocaine with creatives was shockingly taken. My name is Jeremy Berger, and each week I chat with a professional creative, have a few drinks, and discuss the issues that they're facing. This is part two of my conversation with DP Danny Brothers. We get into the weeds on this one as we cover everything from Robert Frank, sous vide film development, and life as a better ally in the wake of Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, I got to have a little conversation once with Peter Moss, um, mm-hmm. the DP, and he told me there were like three questions. And, and he started at a time when the only person who saw the image was the camera operator. Right. Because, of course, it was optical. Yep. He was looking through it. You had to keep your eye in it. There was no video assist. Mm-hmm. And, and so he was operating in Australia at the time for a DP. And, and the DP would say, did we get it? And he would say yes or no. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And when looking through the eyepiece, he would ask himself, this might have been from another podcast, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, the person would ask himself, uh, can I see anything? Um, or, and does it look lit? And if they could answer, yes, I can see something, and no, it doesn't look lit, then it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see anything. It's too dark. If it looks lit, there's, you got to start turning lights off. Other than that, like, that's, that's a good basis for like, shooting a movie. <laughs> you know, that's incredible. I worked um, many years ago. I'll, I'll make this, this story as brief as I possibly can. Yeah. I, I had a producer friend, and he, I had first started working for him doing sound straight out of college. Right. And he gave me a call out of the blue. He's like, hey, do you still do sound? And at that point, I did not. I was doing editing and producing and some shooting. And uh, he gave me like a little bit of a trifecta. He said, okay, I want you to do sound, to which I said, ugh. He's like, but it pays well. And I said, huh. Ah. He said, and I'm going to send you to Geneva uh, as part of a documentary production team to record uh, the first test of the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. Ooh. Yeah. At which point I said, uh, yes, I will absolutely do that. And let me just clear my schedule for you. I spent two and a half weeks there and I was working with this DP named uh, Wolfgang Held. Okay. Uh, he did uh, Metallica, some kind of monster. Um mm. He's done, he's done, he did that movie, that indie movie Teeth, uh, many oh, years yeah. ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's 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 the man, he's the man, he's 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 crazy. I, I, I was told during the camera prep with him that, uh, from Abel Cinetech, uh, when they had their Manhattan location, I think I think they don't have it anymore. Oh. Um, that that you know, I told I was I told them I was meeting Wolfgang Held, he was like, Oh, yeah, he's crazy. And I hadn't met him before. And I was like, oh, God. And he's like, no, he's crazy in the way you want a DP to be. I was like, oh, God. And <laughs> during an interview setup, and he was a perfectly lovely human being. Um, during an interview setup indoors, he was setting up all HMI lights. Yeah. And I, I let him do his thing. So, again, I was just like waiting for him to finish lighting, get the camera position. It was just an interview thing. And then I would set up boom and lob and everything like that. Yeah. And then afterwards, as we're driving away, I was like, Hey, Wolf, you don't want me to ask you, why were you setting up HMI daylight lighting in t- in, uh, indoors? And he said, um, all light is sunlight. Uh, humans are the only ones that made up tungsten. 
That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's, it's also, it, it, it put me in the frame of mind that I, I, I don't get much, but your story reminded me of that directly. It's like, you know, that's, that's absolutely correct. I never would have thought of that on my own, but that's, yeah. I cannot fight that one at all. It's amazing. It's, what I love about photography is there's like a simple inevitability to it. It's like, you don't, it, you know, if something is in the frame, it's because it happened. Mm -hmm. And there's no theoretical discussion of what that means. You know, it's like the, the photograph is the photograph. And it's, you know, it's not just worth a thousand words. It's like beyond words. It's mm -hmm. like, if you have a question about why I did something a certain way, like look at it. Do you have photographers who take you to that space? Uh, I mean... I say this only asking because I literally pulled out. Well, obviously, Robert that, Frank. I'm literally looking at the book, The Americans, right now. I've got it right I'm, here. I, 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 have so right, I. I have it right next to me. I'll pull it out. Okay, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, I was literally bookmarking some of my favorite photographs of him today. I haven't looked at the book in years. Look at, um, let me see. Oh, I just saw it. It's one of the most chilling pages of photography in the world. Uh, oh, they don't have it numbered, so I can't tell you. It's about halfway through. Uh-huh. And the first one is Covered Car, Long Beach, California. Long Beach, check. California? Yeah. The, one, the, the, the version I have is locate. Whoa. Hold on. That's, oh. That's Venice, West California. Covered Car. Wait, no, I was passing that one earlier. Yeah. Hold on, I'm flicking through it right now. I don't know. This was, I have the one where Kerouac did the intro and it's like curated in a certain way. Oh, that, I, I, that's the one. That's the one I have as well. I was actually looking at Bank Houston, Texas earlier because of the way that the, it was also a, uh, a vertical frame. So the chairs oh, in the yeah. office acted as a, uh, yeah, that's a good a, one. Eye line right through. Oh God. No, I remember looking at that one. Cause I don't know why. Also, I can't believe that bathrooms used to have people shining shoes in them. That's, that's incredible to me. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's one in here that it's, Covered car, Long Beach, California, and you turn the page, and it's car accident, US sixty six. I never just, put those together. I'm an sure. editor, and I never put those together. Yes, here it is, right here. Oh my God! Covered car, Long Beach, car accident, US sixty six between Wins Winslow and Flagstaff, Arizona. Yeah, that's like one of the most chilling series I've ever seen in photography, and it says everything. Like you can't express with words. Like Ernest Hemingway would not be able to express with words what those two things say together. Okay, now you're coming down on Hemingway. I feel like we're about to have a disagreement. <laughs> that because you heard all about his um, the challenge someone made to him, right? Uh, the six word story. The six word story. Yeah. Oh, that yes. uh, uh, that was for sale. Baby shoes never used. Most. Ugh. Yeah, Brutal. yeah. Oh it's God. it's one of those things. Like God, he like somebody needed to challenge him more. This the the novel was a simple thing compared to his pure economy. Oh my God! God, I keep flipping back between these things. God, I never put those two things together. Yeah, like was I, this curated? Yes, it is. A, okay, and I think it's important to look at the sequence of the photographs in it because there is a progression, but it's kind of like a beat. A Holy beat progression. God. It's kind well, of like a cut up Dada's progression. Well, if you even go two pages, I, I assume we're reading the same book here. But if you go 
two pages back, it's US 91 leaving Blackfoot, Idaho. It's two guys in a car. Mm -hmm. The next one is St. Petersburg, Florida. It's a group of senior citizens uh, sitting back to back on a bench, but there's a car speeding by them whom you cannot see the drivers. Then there's mm -hmm. a covered car. Then there's the car accident. Mm -hmm. And then there's an empty road out of US 285, New Mexico. Yeah. Well, guess what I'm doing tomorrow? I'm going back through this book. I can't believe that. That's incredible. That's montage. Wow. <laughs> it sucks because I'm a professional editor and I had to have this pointed out to me. I'm, I'm embarrassed. It's, Don't be it's, embarrassed. I okay. mean, I'm, I'm like funny about those things. So, hmm. Just out of sidebar, have you ever uh, observed the photographs of Ralph Eugene Meteard? No, but I'm going to write that down. Can you um, hang on? Let me pull up a little. Yeah, so, take your time. Take your time. Yeah, he's like, because at the same time, I was uh, getting the book of the Americans because I was, had a solid income, and I said, finally, I can afford good art books because they're all expensive. Uh, art uh, books are awesome. They're awesome, but yeah, god damn, they cost. Um, Ralph Eugene, who? Uh, meat yard, as it sounds, meat yard, like a yard full of meat. That's he, insane. Okay. It's, it's, it, so's, so's kind of his photography. He's, he's funny enough, the most normal guy. In fact, I'm pretty sure he grew up in a town named normal and he was a, uh, God, was he an optometrist? He, he worked with, he worked with eyes mm -hmm. and, uh, he moved into photography and his photography started off very simple. He had his kids. He'd take them back in this, like in the fifties and the sixties, early sixties. And, uh, take a photograph of them. He's like, you know what? This, this needs, this needs something else. Hey, put on those Halloween masks. So it's just like <laughs> his kid, black and white, silver halide prints of him in the forest behind his home with his kids with like nickel store Halloween masks and they're haunting. It's, uh, it's, cool. yeah, it's, 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 it's David Lynch before, before there was a David Lynch, but it's, it's pretty great. I got to be honest with you, Jeremy, like I get a lot of inspiration from the kids right now. Like there are kids out there just like Gen Z kids discovering mm -hmm. film and they're going out with like Ricos and like funny little cameras and shooting pictures of dumpsters. And like the eye is so good and the documentary is so good. And they're mm -hmm. like, approach to it. Like, I think I have a lot of hope for art in the coming generations. Cause I feel like we're moving up we're moving into like a post mass media world where mass media still exists, but you also have like instant sharing in thousands of different sort of venues mm -hmm. and everyone's influenced by each other. And like, and film is having this resurgence and people are paying way too much money for old cameras. And like, mm -hmm. it's really cool. And I think, I think that, I think the teenagers in the early 20 somethings are like, hooked into it and uh i'm excited hey see that's very interesting um do you know um cat sheldon no Cat sheldon cat sheldon no she oh cat sheldon yeah i know cat yeah. sheldon yeah she yeah. does film photography all the time i don't yeah. know if you knew that i follow uh, her on ig yeah oh okay good 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 we, we, her and i were talking about that because uh i don't know you know the holga camera yeah yeah, I just bought one. They stopped production on them finally. Nice. You're rocking your medium format. I, 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 yeah. If you need a, if you need an introduction to medium format, choose the forty dollar camera first. Yeah. 
That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I'll, don't get me wrong. I'm 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 going to get a Rolex at some point, but just get, when, look into the Yashikas. I got upstate. I yeah. got a I got a Yashika twin lens, a Yashika A, and it was eighty bucks, and it's beautiful. Wow, eighty dollars, yeah. really? It's exactly like a Roloflex. It was produced mm-hmm. in Japan or Japan or Korea. I'm not sure where Yashika is from, and it's I mean, it's precision. It's brilliant and. The Rollies are beautiful, but man, they're selling them for like $600,000 online and like... Oh my God, are they? Yeah, they're expensive. And I got a twin lens for 80 bucks and it does everything I want it to do. Yeah, oh, done. Done and done. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Drive up drive up state and go to an antique store. There's like... Oh, some... oh God, twist my arm. Twist yeah. my arm. Oh yeah. no, get out of the city, go upstate. Yeah. Oh God. But no, it's, it's funny how that there's been a resurgence recently about of dark rooms, like for rent dark rooms. I, I thought oh. when, I, when I wanted to get, you know, when I get going on these, I either had, you know, the choice of either some guy in, you know, who built his out in a closet or the super expensive photo processing places that are still doing, you know, Vogue spreads yeah. uh, in the city. And come to find yeah. out, we have a place in uh, Gowanus here, Gowanus, Brooklyn. It's they do uh they, they you just drop your film off to them they do the entire processing and then they send you negatives that's great yeah yeah there's a spot in greenpoint too it's still like a little polish run spot that is uh-huh. cash only that still does it too so they're, they're alive they're there's pockets that's fantastic you know my buddy does i got a buddy uh he lives in spain now but like we we both kind of got into hand processing at the same time uh-huh and I'm still doing black and white and he started doing color. And I was like, I, I used to work in a photo lab when I was a teenager. And so I was like, like, how are you doing color? Like, mm-hmm. it's so complicated. The temperature, what it's about. Temperature is, control is incredible. Temperature yeah. control. And he was like, bro, I just bought a cheap sous vide. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. He, he takes his tanks. He puts the chemical tanks in a, ba- a water bath. He puts a, $20 sous vide machine and brings it up to the temperature, leaves it for a couple hours. Everything's at the perfect temperature because that's what sous vide is. Right. He does, he does his batch and it holds long enough. The temperature holds long enough because it's only like three to five minutes. It doesn't cool very much. And like, yeah. it's fine. It does C41 at home. The only thing is like, I don't know what he does with the silver, but like. So knows? he just, he just does his color batches and like a pork, like, sirloin yeah. at the same time or not sirloin, well, i don't know if he eats pig it might just be like a, a nice piece of beef but like okay you know <laughs> yeah it's a it, it's uh what will we call that t-bone and t-stops yeah t-bone and t-stops yeah okay i like that like c41 that. um there's got to be something with c41 in there seafood in 41 no there okay i'll take okay. it yeah all right all right I, i'm we'll, we'll workshop it we'll Su- workshop sous vide port sous vide 41 Sous vide 41. Dumb yeah. it. <laughs> Done. I can't wait to tell my wife about how I'm making dinner the next night. Oh, it's Dude, do you know who figured out to do that? Who? The fucking kids on the internet. The kids, the future is with the kids on the internet, man. They, they were like, hey, this is what you do. Here's how you do it. They did like a, they did like a TikTok how-to and it was done, you know? Like, is there a particular place that like I can go look that up? I don't know. <laughs> he just told me about it. I I didn't look it up at all. He just told me. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, modern cameras you can rate to like thirty two hundred ISO without with minimal noise. It's insane. Like most modern cameras are so sensitive that like 
it's wild. You don't need to worry about light reading. So they don't have false color built in and it's like your exposure tools are so, so simple these days. I am so trying to learn false color right now. It's driving me crazy. It's, I mean, all you got to learn is like, we don't want to see red and we don't want to see dark blue and everything else, you know, is good. How dare you try to make this simple for me? How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> you, you want to make sure you're looking at it in, in the log space. Yeah. Oh, really? So you don't use onset LUTs? I do, but I don't like to look at false color uh, with a LUT applied. Gotcha. Okay. I, I only use it. I only use it to check my clipping basically. Gotcha. Uh, I've recently gotten more interested in exposing skin tones properly. And I know mm. this is like such like a sin as a GP to say, mm. but like I kind of protect the highs and lows and move forward with digital. Sometimes I let the highs go if, if it means like making sure exposure on the face is right. But my skin tones are kind of all over the place and I really, really value my colorists. It's in really <laughs> big ways. God bless them. God bless their little hearts. I know what they do for me. Don't worry. <laughs> I, well, I do not think this is a one-man band at all. Absolutely. No, no, no. And it's, and it's funny because it, it's definitely become a little bit, I feel like, more of a complicated uh, discussion with today's cameras. I just sidebar. Um, so, you know, I've been hardcore editing all the time at NBC and my freelance career since then, based upon that, has been freelance. But like, 2020 was supposed to be like my big like I'm getting back into cameras year and of course you know now I can't go out and shoot anything um you can shoot in your house like all of like my favorite photographs from the last three months have been me shooting stuff in my house that's fair yeah that's fair. I do have a and, gorgeous dog my apartment's yeah, crap but I have a beautiful dog. dog and let me give you the key secret to the current trend in dp shit you yes. want to know what the Absolutely. exposure the exposure trend is? What's that? Put your highest highlight at the fifty percent gray. Really? Everybody's shooting dark, man. Like everything I see is like buried. It's all buried, and it looks cool. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I, that, and that's the thing I've been curious about because, like, when I entered into when I went off camera in full post production, like it was like protect the highlights. Yeah. protect the highlights like black in video like pedestal in video will always be pedestal like black that's will be black now. that's totally different now especially with the cameras we've got we've got latitude for days we got latitude for days but at the same time like i'm almost feeling like i got i ended up getting one of those z cams because i've never if, used that do you like it i i like it i also recognize that it's kind of the camera you get when you need to start making a reel and no one's paying you to shoot yet <laughs> but no like i because here's the thing i could go down the e2c model get a very wide dynamic range for like 800 dollars for the model and then build out like you know a brick battery and a 15 millimeter rod system something that would last me through whatever iteration of next camera i would get i still build out infrastructure around it does that make sense yeah so i got it and it took me a while to realize, just start exposing more to the right. Like get those skin yeah. tones at like 50 IRE, 60 IRE. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm also trying to learn false color at the same time. Can I give you my photography tip of the day? Please do. Just look at it and make it feel the way you want it to feel. Like 
right now the trends in like the coolest the coolest dps that i know that i'm watching are doing stuff dark except deacons he's fucking god don't talk about deacons but like people, I, I, I dare not utter his name i know people are underexposing in these really cool interesting ways and i think it has to do and i think actually quarantine is going to change this but right before quarantine it, i think it has to do with like maybe the audience is starting to understand the way the camera represents light because everyone walks around with an iPhone. And Interesting. smartphones are really good at taking really nice pictures and scrubbing them up real quick with an algorithm. Yes. And so we're seeing a lot of people like beautiful film that I haven't watched but looked at a lot of stills from was the um, Reed Murano, Peter Dinklage film set in upstate New York where he's like the last man on earth. No, I haven't. I, I, I don't know that film. It, but like she did a lot of like exposing for the sheer curtains in the room and just letting the skin tones be where, land where they land. Really? And it looks so good. And I think it influenced like a generation, like a current generation, a news cycle of filmmakers at least, you know? Huh. Uh, and it influenced me where I'm like pulling exposures down and being like, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it down and have the highlights be, you know, 50 to 70%. And then I'm going to push those, I'm going to push the mid shadows a little to get the detail back and leave it. And Interesting. it's been like, you know, now I like to, I like to overcorrect. So now I'm like overexposing everything, but like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. but it's a really cool vibe. And so I think my point is like, take the Z cam or take, your phone and get like filmic pro or whatever mm -hmm. and just like make it feel how you want it to feel and then worry about i, I once dit'd for a guy named steve um what, what was his name like steve anise or something like that and he was shooting on red weapons before the ippt workflow so it would have been like red weapon dragon or whatever you know i, I can't mm -hmm. keep their I love shooting on them. I can't keep their systems straight. I'm not uh, even quite sure they can. Yeah. And his histogram, because, you know, Red has the histogram on the lower left of every yep. monitor. Mm -hmm. His histogram was only ever day exterior, no matter where we were, it was like the bottom 10% was the only place where there were levels. Huh. Ever, ever, ever. And it's not because he was underexposing. Well, he was under. It's not because he wanted it to look dark. It's because what he was doing was taking the camera out, putting it into post and ripping all that data up towards where he wanted it to be and creating that sort of weird red. Um, it's got a, a lot of yellows and funkiness in there. Mm -hmm. And he was like deliberately pulling that out. Wow. And so it's like, you look at what I got. I, I've, I've had some really, I've been lucky to have a lot of conversations with a lot of cool people, but I had a conversation once with uh, Steve Yedlin. And um, it was mind blowing because he's such a scientist. Um, and he was like, look, the thing you need to understand is the camera is, is a surveyor's tool. And all it does, just like a surveyor, surveyor's tool, is it surveys the amount of light in a space. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand how it makes those readings and then how it records those readings. And after that, like, you can manipulate it. And so... Uh, that's going to haunt me for the next week yeah that's all it is it's a device for surveying the amount of light in an area huh. and, and uh, if you think of it that way then you can 
you can exert a certain amount of control over it where you're saying, I want this processor to, to record data in a certain way that I can then take and manipulate in another way or not manipulate, you know, have it be out of, out of camera. Mm. Um, and then my segue to that, because I'm free associating and drinking beer. Absolutely. Um, is that uh, the legend is that when Gordon Willis shot The Godfather, mm-hmm. he was certain that someday someone would be able to do something to the negative and lift all the shadows. Mm-hmm. And he wanted The Godfather to be a dark, dark film. And huh. so he took that 35 millimeter negative he was shooting and he buried the exposure and exposed everything three to four stops under. Wow. And to this day, it was the smartest thing that could happen because you know some studio executive would want to do a digital remaster of The Godfather and scan uh-huh. it and lift all the shadows. And he, he clipped them. He clipped them off. So there's nothing there. there. You can never brighten up The Godfather because Gordon Willis said, you know what? Someday someone's going to try and lift these shadows and I'm not going to let them. That's incredible. So yeah, read your, read your false color and everything, but it's just a tool. And like really what matters is like making the decision with the, with the approval and, and um, collaboration with the director, obviously, but like making, looking at it, saying this is what it looks like and exposing it that way. We take a time machine right back to the day of your graduation. You see yourself there in the audience and you pull yourself aside. What advice do you give to younger uh, to a younger you? Nothing. That dude wouldn't listen to anything I had to say. <laughs> um, I'm going to want more on that because I I think I know where you're going, but I, I I want other people to know it too. Look, I like when I was in high school. I've always I've always known everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the older I get, the more that I realize that I don't know shit. But when I was when I was 18, like I knew I fucking knew everything um so and when i was 22 i had been to college and i probably knew even more and i i i don't know that there's anything that i could say to that person um i will say that uh i applied to two schools Mm -hmm. to go to college and one was usc and one was cu boulder and i'm from colorado so cu boulder was state school and it was my backup right and I thank God every day that I didn't get into USC. Really? Because I, me today would hate me that went to USC today. <laughs> and that's nothing against USC. It's, it's just like my journey has been one where because I went to state school and because I learned to shoot on celluloid, mm-hmm. And because of a bunch of factors that 18-year-old me had no idea what was going on, you know, 37-year-old me barely has any idea what's going on. But be, <laughs> because, of, because of all those factors, it gave me the attitude to be able to absorb some knowledge on the way mm-hmm. instead of thinking that I knew everything all the time. So by going to state school, it was my backup school and I already like had that chip on my shoulder and it, it took me a, like several years to like get rid of the chip on my shoulder mm-hmm. and like appreciate people and listen and work for other people and understand that like a lot of people are a lot smarter than I am and have a lot more experience and I should probably shut the fuck up. Um, but that if, if I had gotten into the 
you know, Ivy League of the West or whatever they call it. If I had gone to film school where George Lucas went to film school, mm-hmm. there would have been no room in that ego to learn anything ever. And so I, I would, uh, I would probably go back to the kid graduating uh, college in May 2005 and be like, hey, dude, you should move to New York real quick. Hmm. Which is what I did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing else. Stay the course. That's my <laughs> advice to you. Stay yeah. the course. Yeah. I think at oh. the time, if, if I remember right, I think I was still debating like if I should go to LA or New York. And I love both. Mm. But when I went to New York, I caught the tail end of what New York I think was. Yes. I was hanging around Williamsburg when it was still all DIY venues. Mm-hmm. Like it was a really special time. And like, and it was, I acknowledged like the tail end of like what was happening, but I got to like experience a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. And that sort of like opened my eyes to everything. I mean, it opened my eyes to it. My experience as a suburban white kid from Colorado mm-hmm. to live in Brooklyn at that time. Um, and it started me down this path that that I think has defined a lot of like me developing some kind of like wisdom and morality that I hope I have now. But if I had known then, and if I had gone another direction, I think it could have been very different in a bad way. So I'm really, really, really lucky and grateful. First of all, that's awesome. I, I do, funny enough, reflect upon my own, shall we say, youth in that regard. Um, you know, everyone likes to do the whole, like, if I knew then what I knew now scenario, very few people like to talk about, uh, yeah, but I was kind of not listening to people back then. Yeah, not at all. I wasn't, I certainly wasn't. I, I, I I read things, thought they were true, followed up with them and figured out that, uh, maybe I needed more evidence to back up those claims. Well, and, and in the learning that I'm doing now in the light of everything going on, like Mm -hmm. I was in the deep throes of enjoying systemic white privilege that like that to this day like i can't fully understand how the deck was stacked in my favor like how how profoundly um how 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 i how profoundly i benefited from that system and like Mm -hmm. I, i like kind of have to mention it like i was extremely lucky in in my birth and in my career and in everything that's happened and i'm just now starting to square that but i don't think that i would be the person that could be sensitive to that and square that up if i hadn't gone to state school then moved to new york and started to learn about the world instead of going to usc getting a job in the movies and just like working on a back lot forever yeah and i think my transition into like news eng living in brooklyn like all of those things slowly started to crack open my awareness of, of all of that. And to this day, like I'm finally ready to start absorbing some real knowledge, hopefully if I'm sensitive and quiet. So, you know, I think, I think we have a responsibility now to amplify voices and, and, you know, look, look around ourselves and see ways that, that we can contribute and listen and learn. And, you know, I've been, listening and learning a little bit and one thing i can tell you is we've been assured that we're going to fuck up and the important thing is that we keep trying and keep learning and like 
you know, I've, I've enjoyed a lot of benefit from, from, you know, being a white heterosexual male Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm good. I'm ready to like share that. So I'm ready to share the privilege and like, it doesn't diminish me if, if other people have opportunities and if other people book jobs that I wanted, that doesn't diminish me either. So like, let's do it. Let's do it together. Absolutely. If somebody, if somebody's getting the job that you like, no one's hiring somebody who can't do the job to do the job. Mm -hmm. If they, if somebody's getting hired to do the job, then God, good. Yeah. It's, it's like what my friend Hillary was saying. It's like, I can't wait to check out what they did and see where I need to improve. Exactly. And in fact, like, I don't want the job if I'm getting it because I'm white and the other guy's black. Like, I would rather it be on merit. Um, and if he or she is, like, more qualified, he or she should get it for sure. Um, but I can, but I, I think it's also, you know, we also do have a responsibility to even, like, go further than that, I think. And I'm still working through all this. So forgive me, anyone listening for ignorance or anything. It's like, we do have a responsibility to amplify black voices and tell black stories as, as creative people. I'm, I'm going to say white people, but also as like creatives, like that's where we should be focusing. And there's a whole history of this country and this world that has never been told or taught. And it's just, uh, or it has been told or taught by people who fought to tell it and it didn't get the exposure it needed, you know? And, and so like, that's art. Let's do that art. That's still art, and we still get to do what we love, and we, and and hopefully do better for everyone, and change the conversation away from what I know. I sigh because like the conversation I know that's being told in, you know, purely white circles in the middle of this country, and even on the coast, like there is there is another narrative, and it's insidious, and it exists, and it needs to be confronted. You mentioned something before, and it, it was it was a curious thing to relate that to the um, advice you give to your younger self, which is the, the entire idea of failure, that mm -hmm. failure is ultimately inevitable. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the, I, and if, if I were to be asked the same question, uh, both in that regard, as well as the regard of continuing forward is uh, you can't let failure stop you. Right. Mm -hmm. Fail, failure is, you know, success is a wonderful friend, but it's a terrible teacher. Yeah. Failure on the other hand, He's, he sucks at parties, but man, yep. he'll teach you something. Once, uh, it says, uh, uh, smooth seas never made a strong sailor. That's wonderful. I've never heard that before. Yeah. So, oh. so yeah, I, I think my lucky stars that like, I didn't wind up going to the best film school in the nation and then, you know, getting a job in Hollywood and going, going that route right out because I feel like being boots on the ground, finding my way to documentary, finding my way out of documentary, dealing with people, talking to people has opened me up personally to be able to do some real work on myself to, to, to become an ally in the world. Not, not just in like the current movement, but like an ally to justice in general. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope I can live up to that and I hope I can bring my art to that. But like, you know, one day at a time. Thanks, Dan. For more, check out www.dannythedp.com. And for more links and what we discuss here, head over to www.drinkingwithcreatives.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and download on whatever is your most favorite listening platform. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll see you next time.